me a favor, open up your Bibles to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. If you don't have a Bible, you can take the Bible in the pew back in front of you and you can turn to page 556. We're going to be on page 556 in the pew back Bible in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, you can have that Bible. That is our gift to you. You can keep it. You can mark it up. If you're just joining us or you've been here for at least a week, we started a new sermon series. It's called Transforming Presence. And, and the heart behind the series is we want God to do what we cannot do for ourselves. We want God to do what we cannot do for our family, for our children. We want God to do what we cannot do for our community, our world. And we know that God has the power to transform the things in our lives and the people in our lives that are either far away from God or are, are, are just not walking with God, right? And it only takes just about 30 seconds in a day to look at the world and say, if you're like me, oh my gosh, it just got bad again. And then the next day wake up and say, oh gosh, it got worse, right? And then, and then think about the power of God and how God can transform this world. But the way God is going to transform you, the way God is going to transform your family, the way he's going to transform your marriage, your children, your, your finances, even the way God's going to transform the, the interactions with your friends, your coworkers, the way God's going to tr transform our world is first by transforming us. God works in us through everyday, ordinary times, ordinary moments in our lives. So if you're like, God, I'm desperate for you to move, our heart's desire is for you to learn disciplines, habits, practices in which you can see God transform your life and the world around you every single day through ordinary times, right? Our, our world is just convinced that the bigger, the better, right? Like if it's a lot of people show up, if a lot of people come, if, if, if I'm part of something really big, a big movement, that's where it's happening. And, and no, oftentimes where God is actually working is, is in, in just ordinary details, habits of our lives. And this morning, we're going to look at the most important one. We're going to look at reading and studying God's word because all spiritual disciplines, all habits, all spiritual practices come from God's word. It wasn't like Tim Morero sat down and decided what are the good things that he wants his people to know. It's no, what are the practices and habits and disciplines that we see in scripture that the people of God did, that God prescribes us to do, so that we can be the people that God has created us to be in the places and spaces that God has called us to be. So we look at the reading and studying of God's word. So before we jump in, there's two things you're going to notice about Psalm 19. First is you're going to see in the first six verses, we won't read them, but you're going to see that David is the writer. And David is saying this in the first six verses, God has revealed himself through creation. 
And the only thing you have to do is look at the stars, look at the moon, look at the sky, look at the animals, look at the earth, and that is going to tell you that God exists. He exists in this world. He is the one that created, right? That's Romans chapter one. We can see God, his invisible attributes. We can see him moving in our world because we can look at creation. And then our focus for this morning is in verses seven to 11, and David is going to show us He's going to say, you want to know God? Do you want to know God intimately? Do you want to know him personally? Do you want to know beyond just his creative power, but do you want to know him personally through his covenants, through his personality? Do you want to know what God is thinking? Do you want to know what God is feeling? Do you want to know and see what God is doing? The only way you can do that is to know him. How do you know him? You can only know him through the word. You can only understand him through the word. You can, you can only get close to him, right, as a spiritual discipline, to, to know him in the word. So we read verses 7 to 11 on page 456 in your Bibles. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Last verse. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Really quickly, here's my main point. The big sentence that is going to radically change your life this morning. Probably not, but I'm going to try. It's, It's this. When you read this passage... You are going to see that David's main argument is God's word is beneficial to you and me. God's word is beneficial to you and me. God's word will transform you and me. God's word has the power to transform the world around us, right? That's, that's what David is going to argue. He's going to argue that these are all the benefits of God's word. And, and these benefits that we have ultimately transform you and me. Ultimately change the way we think. It changes the, what we feel and how we feel. It informs our feelings. And then it influences our actions. And if you read this section, you'll see a structure, right? You see the characteristics that that David is describing about God's word, right? He, he calls it the law of the Lord. He says it's the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, the rules of the Lord. And what are all of those things, right? Like, it's easy to say, yes, that's, that's God's word. But, but they have meaning. What, what is David meaning? So I'm gonna quickly go over the structure and then I, I want to show us the benefit we have and the backdrop of our culture, why the word is so important to us. Okay, so, so a couple of things. The law of the Lord. What is David saying? The law of the Lord 
is just saying that this is God's will for us. That's what he's referring to. If, if you're someone who's always asking or looking, what is God's will for my life? You find that in the word. What's the testimony of the Lord? It's God's affirmation of the truth found in God's word. God is affirming, he's verifying in his word that what is says is true. What had happened, happened, and what's going to happen is going to happen. The precepts and the commandments of the Lord are just, are just pointing to God's precise authoritative decrees. God has made decrees. He has declared things in his word, and they're going to happen. And then the fear of the Lord, what's that? Well, we know that that's the honor and reverence. That's our response to God's word. And then the rules of the Lord are the decisions that God has executed in God's word. Notice some of the benefits, or excuse me, notice some of the other characteristics of God's word. David says that God's word is perfect. What does that mean? It means that it's without error. There are no mistakes in it. It's perfectly presented to us without any errors. God's word is also sure. It means that it's verified. That everything that happened in God's word happened. Everything that God says is going to happen. He also says that God's word is right, meaning it is morally good. God's word is morally good for you and me. God's word is pure. What does pure mean? It means that God's word has the right motives. God's word is going to lead and direct you because it has a purpose. God's word's purpose is to equip you, to correct you, to sanctify you, to lead you and guide you for your benefit. So therefore, when you read and study God's word, it has the right motives for your life. It's not going to hurt you. It's going to make you better. It's not going to weaken you. It's going to make you stronger. God's word has the right motives for you and me. He also says God's word is true. That means it's dependable, meaning you can rely on God's word. Are you confused? God's word provides wisdom. Are you overwhelmed? God's word provides peace. Are you anxious and fearful? God's word provides clarity. Is life getting hard? Do you have questions about your life? Do you have doubts and feelings concerning your job and your welfare, your marriage, your kids? God's word has the power to give you the knowledge and insight that you need to make decisions because it's dependable. You can trust God's word. When there are many voices in your life trying to get your attention, when there are many influences in this world that are trying to influence the way you think and what you feel and how you act, God's word is faithful and dependable that you can go back to God's word and see for yourself what God has declared, what God has said is right, what God has said is wrong. And then there are many benefits to us. So, so let's go through some of the benefits that I want to focus on. One of the benefits that David is showing us is that, that God, God's word has the power to change our lives. That's verse 7. 
He uses this idea of reviving the soul. What does that mean? That means that God's word has the power to transform people's lives that were once dead and he can make it alive through his word, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. God's word is effective and powerful to help shape and mold your life into what God wants it to be. Someone who doesn't know Jesus, someone who doesn't follow Jesus, when they hear God's word and God transforms their hearts and minds so that they can understand God's word and then God can move in their hearts so that they can properly respond to God's word, then their life is transformed. That's what happened to many of us in this room, right? When we weren't believers, or as Michael Smith said, when we were knuckleheads before we knew Jesus, some of us are still knuckleheads, God changed us. And how did he change us? Through his word, hearing it, and then us responding to it. God's word has the power to transform lives. The sad part is that we don't really believe that because if we did, how many of us would often share God's word believing that it has power and is effective to transform the lives of our loved ones who don't know Jesus, who are not following Jesus, who are not in the path of sanctification? Like if we were truly convinced of what David is convinced, that God's word has the power to revive the soul, how much would we share God's word at our workplace? Like if we truly believe that, man, God's word can change people's lives, wouldn't it birth a passion in our desire to go on mission trips, to go share God's word overseas, or, or to talk to our neighbors and our friends and our family members about what God has done in his word, what God promises to do through his word, and what God has done to us, through us, from his word? If we truly believe that, I think we would, we would share more. But we're afraid we're people pleasers. We, we don't want people to be angry or upset at us. We don't want to cross any lines. David says, God's word has the power to change our lives. He also says, God's word is the source of wisdom. So much of our lives, we're we're anxious and fearful and worried about the future. We don't know what decisions to make. We're paralyzed by decisions and David is saying God's word has wisdom we can come to God's word and find our source of wisdom and knowledge for today in his word James says if you lack wisdom ask there in fact is a whole book in the Bible devoted to wisdom that's Proverbs right the benefit that we have of God's word that it gives us, it's a resource, it's a tool for us to use in our everyday life. A wise person is someone whose life is conformed and shaped up by the reality and truths of God's word. You have questions, come to God's word. You have doubts, come to God's word. You need understanding, clarity, perspective, come to God's word. We're so eager in our life to go to every other tool and resource and person, psychologist, counselor, to figure out our mess. And yet, oftentimes, we don't want to come to God's word first. Although all those things are good and right in their place. 
But God has designed God's word to affect us, our heart and our mind. So if we need help, if we need counseling, if we need for insight and perspective, we come to God's word first because it is most important for us to understand it, to live it, and understand what God is saying. But we've trained ourselves that like, we'll do everything else before we come to God's word. We'll read the book. We'll study the manual. We'll, we'll listen to the 10 podcasts and, and figure out the solution. And yet God's word here says, you need wisdom? I'll give it to you. In fact, you can find it right here. Verse 8. God's word has moral clarity. God's word has moral clarity. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The precepts of the Lord are the precise and authoritative decrees that God has made about what we should believe and what we should think and how we should act. This is very important because the backdrop of our culture is there isn't moral clarity. Our world and our culture has no moral clarity whatsoever. It's in disarray. There's moral relativism. You're okay, I'm okay. Everything is subjective. It's so bad that our culture cannot even define what a woman is. That's how bad it is. Why? Because the world has decided and the culture has decided God's word is not good enough for us. God's word doesn't have biblical truth. God's word isn't right for us to read and study and get inside and understand what God is saying about us and our gender and our sexuality on who we are. How are we supposed to treat other people? How are we supposed to think and act in this world? No. The believer, though, the believer says God's word provides us moral clarity. We go to God's word with moral clarity. And this is a really big issue for us these days because there's so many things happening in our culture and then we're feeling this like desire to be empath empath empathize with our world and sympathize with our world and it's okay to do that. But we have to stand on biblical truth. We gotta say what's wrong and we gotta say what's right and we do that in love. We tell people and we say, listen, God's design for men and women is found in his word. But if you're struggling with that, Come to the club. Come to the hospital. Because guess what? There are many people here who are struggling too. God's word provides moral clarity. You have doubts about morality and ethics? Good. Come to God's word. What does God's word say? Not what the culture says. Not what the politician says. Not what the organization and nonprofit says. What does God's word say? Also, what we see, God's word provides perspective. It has the right motives, meaning, so if, this, if moral clarity is the issue that we're struggling with, God's word is designed to provide perspective. It's designed to give us insight because it has the right motives. God is not trying to hurt you. This is the problem that we have in our culture. They, this is the big thing that we're having in our church world, right? Church hurt. You hear it all the time. The church did this to me. The pastor did this to me. This group did this to me, right? Like growing up, the purity thing was an issue, right? Hurting people hurt people. There are a lot of issues in the church. There are a lot of problems in our culture. 
And the reason why oftentimes those things happen is because we have not stayed committed to God's word. And we think all of a sudden because this this word tells us truths that we don't like and that make us feel good about ourselves and it doesn't affirm what we're feeling and thinking about ourselves and thinking about our life and what we want to do, then all of a sudden we think, oh, the the Bible is bad for me. The Bible has bad motives. It just wants to give me a long list of things I shouldn't do or shouldn't be and for the rest of my life I have to struggle. No, God's word is designed to love and care for you, to equip you, to correct you, to help you down the path of righteousness so that you will stay committed to God, be faithful to him when everyone else isn't faithful. God's words, God's design for his word was to help you. And when we start to think that God's word is meant to help us, then the issues that we have in our church, the issues, the hurt, church hurt, whatever you're going through, becomes, becomes less effective over our hearts and minds because we have realized and we've decided, no, God's word is good. God's word is helpful. God's word is committed to seeing me through this life, to honor God, to love people, To share his word with others, God's word gives us perspective. I like that idea of the the enlightening of the eyes, right? In verse 8, I'm reminded of Paul's conversion story. He was blind. Paul believed with his whole heart and mind that him persecuting the church was good and right for him to do. He was deeply convicted in his heart that the church was in opposition to God and the law. And he wanted to rectify that. So he persecuted and murdered people in the church. And what happened to Paul? He was made blind. And it was only then that God revealed himself to him and opened his eyes to be able to see, to see clearly, right? So the, the physical blindness was also like an illustration of his spiritual blindness. And then his spiritual blindness turned into insight and perspective because God revealed himself to Paul. That's the same thing what God's word does for us. It reveals his truths. I came up with a list of reasons why we don't read and study our Bibles. And I'm with you in the boat. Just because you think I'm a pastor and I work at a church, that I am in love every day to wake up to, to the idea of, oh, I am get to read my Bible. Oh, this is fun. No, it's a fight. It's a fight to read and study God's word. There are many times I am reading the Bible and I'm just like, what did I just read? I, I totally blanked out. There, there were 10 different thoughts that came into my mind and I have no clue what I just read. And then I gotta go read it again. Sometimes I walk away reading the Bible, I'm like, well, that wasn't helpful, right? Like, you're reading Leviticus and you're like, what is going on? What is happening? You read numbers and you're like, what are all these numbers? Who cares, right? So I came up with a list. I don't know if this is you, but I'd imagine at least one of them um, you, you would 
you would be able to identify with. Um, Here's the many reasons why we don't read and study God's word. You ready? Come up with your own list in your mind. See if um, I, I get one of them. First one is, I don't understand it. Right? You just don't understand what's going on on the page or the words. The, you probably read a version and you're like, I don't understand the thou, this, them, whatever the whole thing is. And you're like, I don't understand what God's word is saying. So you avoid it completely or you put it off for the next day or you just read it and you're not really studying it. You're not really like soaking it in. You're not allowing the word to infiltrate your heart and your mind. You're not meditating on it, meaning you're not trying to understand its meaning and try to understand how you would apply that passage in your life. Like you just don't understand it. So, so you avoid it. Here's another one. You don't know where to start. Right? How many of you are just like, this is a big book. Do I start at the beginning? Do I start at the end? Do I start in the middle? He's going through Psalm 19. But this morning, I was reading somewhere in John. What does that have to do with John? Like, you're in Revelation. You're like, this is weird. I don't know why there are animals flying. Why are there half beasts? Like, what is going on? Like, you're just like... I don't know where to begin. Here's one. It makes me sleepy. Here's the second, the wait, the fourth one to add to that one. It makes me sleepy because it's boring. It really is sometimes, right? Sometimes you read this, you're like, what is happening? I I am not enthusiastic about what's What's on this? And that's not to say that you shouldn't be. It just means that there are parts of the Bible that when you read it, they're not necessarily stirring your affections and your mind. You're just like, okay, that was good. Here's another one. Um, it's outdated. It's too old. That's what a lot of people say, right? It's too old. It's an old book. I don't know if I can trust it. I don't. I see the cultural things in the Bible and I don't know how that's reconciled with my culture today. The, the Bible prescribes certain practices that we don't necessarily practice here and, and I don't understand why that is. What, what's the connection? Should we be doing what they did or should we be doing what we're doing and this church does that and our church does this and those churches do the other thing and it's just old Another one is, uh, I never get anything out of it. How many of you could agree with that? Like, you just read it and you're just like, I, it's not working today. My heart is not in it. Another one is, uh, I go to church on Sunday morning and I'm part of a group that meets here at the church on Sunday. Or I attend a home group. I, I don't need to read the Bible. I'll do it then. These are the last two that are like the ones that I'm just like, all right, this is, this is me. Ready? Last two. I'm too busy. How many of you? You can raise your hand because I'm raising my hand too. I'm too busy. Oh, we're not. Oh, we're going to be that today. Okay, we're being very spiritual. We're all fasting, so we're going to be very spiritual today. So we all read our Bibles. Please. You're too busy? Right? Like, 
the kids are driving me insane. He's up at 6 o'clock in the morning already, screaming bloody murder because he wants his cereal. So you got to go get him the cereal while you're changing. And we got to go to school. I got to go to work. I'm running late. I got to get my coffee. I got to start. I got to stop at Starbucks. Oh, the soccer game, this, that, the other, blah, 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 blah. You're like, what? I'm too busy. I'll do it later. Later comes around. Oh, I'm tired. The kids. My husband's acting up. My wife is acting up. I, I don't got time for this. We got into an argument. I'm not going to read my Bible now. We're too busy. Too many distractions. I don't have time this morning. I don't have time this afternoon. I don't have time this evening. <laughs> this is me often and regularly. The last one. Because I'm just wired this way. There are times I just don't want to read it. I don't want to read it. I'm either in a bad mood or I just don't want to. Right? It's like the kid who won't eat the vegetables and you're like, eat the vegetables. No, why not? I don't want to or I don't like it, right? These are all the reasons I came up with of why I don't, at times in my life, didn't read the Bible. And then I read this passage and then I'm convicted. Because I desperately want to feel and think the way David does. I want to be able to look at God's word and say with my own heart and my mind that God's word is beneficial for me. It's so beneficial and so valuable that I'm going to spend hours throughout my week devoting my time and energy to read it. I want to feel the love. I want to feel the rebuke. I want to feel everything that God has for me in this book so that when I wake up the next day, I'm even more passionate to read it. And I'm convicted by that. I'm sure many of us here are convicted by that because the truth is, we spend less time reading and studying God's word. We spend more time watching TV. We spend more time spending time with our family at the games. We spend more time with the podcast. We spend more time reading the other books, the romance novels. We spend more time watching the movies. And I'm just like, why? Because it's easier. It's, the easy thing is to pick something else other than reading the Bible, right? The easy thing is to say, no, I'm not going to join a women's Bible study because I don't have time and energy to do that. I know they're studying the book of Titus. I know they're studying the birth of Christ. I'm not going to do it because I don't have time to do that. I don't have the time and energy to do that. Right? Like, I don't want to join a home group or a group that meets on Sunday morning where they study the Bible because I don't have time. I just want to come in. I got to come out. We got to go to the game. We got to do this. We got to do that. Parents are coming over. Family's coming over. I got to prepare dinner. I, I just don't want to do it. What if we changed our perspective on how we view the scripture and how we approach the scriptures? What if you and I viewed scriptures differently? What if we viewed it the way David did? What if we didn't view the Bible as a checklist? I got to do it today or, or I, I have to do a task. It's a chore. A lot of people don't like doing dishes. It's like doing the dishes. I got to do it. I hate doing it because I need more dishes, but I don't want to do it. What if we approach the Bible differently and we didn't approach it as this is something I have to do, but this is something I get to do? What if we approach scripture and saying, when I come to read God's word, I'm coming to interact 
with the living God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, who has decided to choose me to be conformed to his image and has something to say to me. He wants to talk to me. He wants to inform me. He wants to radically change the way I think. He wants to radically change our marriage. He wants to radically change our marriage, our kids, our future, our community. And God is desperately wanting to transform us. So why do I go to him through his word to hear from him? What if we approach the Bible that way? What if we viewed God's word not as a chore, but like as a godly and gospel responsibility. The way we are responsible for our spouse and our children, we approach reading the word as a gospel responsibility. I need to tend to my spiritual relationship with God, and the way I do that is by reading and studying his word. A question for you this morning is, how do you view God's word? Do you view it the way David views it? Do you view it as a benefit to us for spiritual maturity, for spiritual equipment, for spiritual correction? What if we viewed it that way? What would happen? Honestly, if you spent, listen, if you spent more time reading the Bible and you spend more time studying, not just reading a verse, it's, it's, it's letting it soak in your mind and your heart where it just permeates throughout the day. What if, what if you did that? Like, what's the worst thing that could happen? You become more like Jesus and less like yourself. I mean, that's the worst thing that could happen. Some of your spouses are saying, amen, brother. Right? Like, what's the worst thing that could happen? You start to change the way you think and feel and act. You start to treat people better. You start to love people better. You have a greater desire to know God and have other people know God. So you have now a passion to serve God in the church. Like what is the worst thing that could happen to you by you spending more time reading and studying God's word and less time being distracted by what the world has to offer? Let me give you three things on how we should approach the Bible. It's found in verses 10 and 11. David approaches the scriptures, God's written word. He says it, he says, more to be desired are then than gold, even much fine gold. What if we approach God's word as more valuable than anything we possess? What if this was more important than your most precious possession? What, think about it. What is your precious possession? What is the most valuable thing in your life? What is the thing that you cannot live without? What if you replace that thing, make it number two or number 10, and then make this the most valuable thing? Do you ever hear the stories of, of, of Christians in other countries who do not have access to their own word? You ever hear the stories of like when they, when they secretly smuggle in the Bible in their language, they cherish it, they cry because they don't have the opportunity to hold it, to, to read it. So 
So many of them have to commit it to memory because that's the only way that they can know and understand God's word. And many of them have to rip the Bible apart. They have to take just pages with them because, because they can't be caught carrying the Bible. What if we had that burning desire that it was more valuable to us than anything else, so valuable that we were willing to die to have it because other Christians do. What if we approached God's word like that? More valuable. What, second thing, what if we approach God's word as a necessity? That's the essence of verse 10. Be sweeter than honey. Honey was a picture in the Old Testament of picture of food, providence, provision. Old Testament, they called the land of Israel, what? The land of milk and honey. It's everything that you ever need. You will lack nothing once you're in the land. What if we viewed God's word and approached God's word with, I need it. I need to read it. I need to study it. I, I need it to inform my heart and my mind every single day. And I can't go a day without reading it or studying it because the day I go without it, then, then it's the day that I'm gonna have a really tough time because, because life is hard, things are difficult. Lastly, what if we approach the Bible like verse 11? What does verse 11 say? David says in verse 11, moreover, by them, it's talking about God's word and all the characteristics of it, right? The law of the Lord, the testimony, the precepts, the commandments, the rules. What if all those things, all those things, right, by them, your servant is warned. I think one of the major issues that we have in our church, not the, the big C churches, that we often forget that you and I are in a battle. You and I are in a fight. Who are we fighting against? Well, sin itself permeating in our hearts, in our minds, in our families, in our church. The enemy who's trying to infiltrate with false doctrine, right? The world, the influences of the world, you and I are in a battle. And oftentimes, we do not approach the Bible or approach our faith with thinking about we are in a fight every single day. That every day, the enemy and sin are going to try to deter, distract, and keep us from being informed by God's word so that we can fall into temptation, that we can fall prey to the attacks of the enemy. What if you and I approach the scriptures like what Ephesians talks about? It's a sword. Can I encourage you ladies for about two minutes? Don't be mad. I think many times, this, think of, to anybody, but mostly women, you approach the Bible as an art project. You have the 10 markers, you have the paint, you have the thing, the calligraphy, bear with me. And, and you're wanting to make the Bible like this pretty little thing. Those are good and that's okay, that's not an issue. But oftentimes, you just approach it to make it look pretty and you just, you're not, you're not reading the Bible to understand it and to allow it to soak you. You're like, you're reading it so it can look pretty in a book. The Bible isn't a paintbrush. It's a sword. You're not going to fight the enemy, sin, 
and Satan with a paintbrush and a calligraphy marker. You're going to fight the enemy and sin with a sword. So my encouragement is, I know that's hard to hear because I'm not judging the, I'm not judging the thing, but what I'm saying is you'll spend more time doing that and less time getting in the word. Men, we, we do the opposite. We, we just want to read a chapter. We'll, we'll depend on the Bible study. We'll, we'll depend on the conversation. We'll avoid it completely together. We'll depend on the men's study that's coming on. We'll, we'll depend on the ABF, the small group, and we won't spend time discipling our children, our wives. We'll spend less time reading the word. The word is a sword. It's a defense to fight against the enemy, to inform you on how to withstand the attacks of the enemy. Ladies, I'm not judging the whole calligraphy thing. I think it's nice. But for many people, you'll spend the whole time doing that. And then just walk away from the Bible and say, it was pretty. And then in turn, you're influenced by the world. You're influenced by feminism and the new movement and the, and the Me Too. We need men and women in this church to fight. And the way you fight is picking up the sword and informing yourself on how you're going to withstand against the attack of the enemy. The attacks of sin in your life. To show you the errors of your ways to convict you. That's how we approach the Bible. We approach the Bible as something more valuable than anything else. Something we need and something to protect us because we are in a fight. So where do we start? We start today. Pick up the book. Open it up. You can start at the beginning and read and study. In the high school ministry, I'll give you just a tool. The high school ministry that we've used in the past, I think they still do it in student ministry, I'm not sure. It's an acronym called SOAP. Like soap to wash your body. Yeah, SOAP. It's an acronym, SOAP. It starts, um, it's, it begins with scripture, observation, application, and prayer. And essentially the acronym, acronym is supposed to encourage people to read God's word, observe it. What does it say? What does it mean? How will people who read this back then will understand this passage? Application. How does this passage change me? Not affirm me. How does this passage change me, change my heart, change my mind, conform me into the image of God. And then the last one is prayer, pray, asking God, God, let your word be alive in me, change me, use me, let this passage be a passage that deeply roots in your commandments, your precepts, your rules, your law in my heart so that I can look like your son, Jesus. So, if you don't read your Bible, if you're struggling to read your Bible or struggling to study, this church for 90 years has been committed to reading and studying the Bible. If you want to do it with someone, you can do it at our women's Bible study, our midweek classes, our groups that meet in the morning that study God's word, home groups that study God's word. You can do it here with other people. Or you can do it on your own. Let's pray. Father God, 
We ask you, O oh Lord, in deep ways that you would stir our hearts and minds toward your son Jesus through your word. God, would, would studying and reading your word, would it be what your word says, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path? God, may we approach your word as the most valuable possession we have. more valuable than food. May we view it, God, as a defense against the influence of our own sin and the influence of the world. God, would you shape us, mold us into your son, Jesus, through your word. We pray this in Christ's name and the people of God say. This has been a message from the chapel in Akron, Ohio. Thanks for joining us today. Our Sunday morning services are at 9 and 1040 a.m. You can join us online for our services by going to akronlive.thechapel.life. For more information about the chapel, please visit our website at thechapel.life.